right, well, good morning, everyone. Anytime you do any conference speaking or teaching somewhere, the one thing you don't want to do is, is go after like a really great speaker. So um, I would like the children to go after me next time. That's ridiculous. I can't compete. I mean, they're just way, way too cute. <laughs> so, um, and you know, I, you could say anything. You could do anything when you're that cute, huh? You know, just, it's amazing. All right. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I love this time of year. I love the Christmas season. Um, it, it, for, for us, it's really a joy. You know, when you have kids, we have three kids and uh, three boys, and they certainly make this season a lot of fun. Um, I'm even, you know, I love doing the cookies, the, the decorations, and, and all those things. It actually really, for me, it really helps us to, to, rem- to be focused on what the season is about and to be, to be reminded that, uh, hey, we're celebrating Jesus. And one thing I love is I love going into a store and hearing songs about Jesus. And, and, and people just, they're okay with it. So it's, it's great that our, that our nation has that um, going for us, whether they know it or not. But I love that. Um, and, and it's kind of even in more contrast with we used to live in Israel, and when we lived in Israel, we lived in Jerusalem, and uh, they don't really put up a lot of Christmas decorations around the city. Um, in, in, okay, I'll explain it later. But, um, <laughs> and, and it's just a few miles from Bethlehem, and it's, it's near the old city walls of Jerusalem where we lived, and, and really there, there's not any reminder of, of Christmas. And, and I remember... Uh, as, as the season grew closer and we were in that Christmas season, I would um, sometimes just on my way to school or after school go into some of the old churches, um, the, these ancient Christian churches were there, and they would have the Advent wreaths and stuff up. And I'd just go in there sometimes just to look up and see Christmassy things and, and just to think, like, yes, okay, we can still celebrate and remember the season. But I remember one time uh, we uh, actually went to Jordan um, in, and we traveled to Jordan. It was in December, and we went to Petra, and we're just kind of checking out the area. So we went with our kids, and, and we had been pretty, um, you know, stark contrast to Christmas. And we moved there from Orange County, by the way, which overdoes everything. So then we went uh, to Jerusalem and, and had nothing in Christmas. We went on vacation to Jordan, and we checked into our hotel, and they had this giant, really beautiful Christmas tree in the lobby. And I remember seeing it and just think, you know, my heart actually kind of left, like, oh, it's so cool. And at one point, um, our middle son, um, he wanted to go down to the lobby and to s- sit and just look at the Christmas tree. And we went down there, and he was just sitting there staring at it. And, and, I, and it was just, for us, it was one of those things that you kind of forget what all this stuff can be about, right, when we have it everywhere. And it was fun to be in a place where that's all stripped down, and then we have just a reminder that what Christmas season is, even though it's a Christmas tree, yes, Christmas trees aren't the story of Jesus, but that was a, a moment where he could just sit there, and I looked at him, and he was just lost. He was oblivious to everyone around him. Uh, sitting here in a Muslim nation, staring at a Christmas tree, thinking about, oh, this is the season that Jesus is born. And, and so the series we're doing, we, we are calling it Be Christmas. And what we're referring to is we want to be people who don't just do all the lights and the cookies and the decorations and the presents and the Christmas trees. It's something we do, but we actually want to embody the message of Jesus. We want to be like my son when he's staring at this Christmas tree and everything around him kind of disappeared and he focused. He was just lost in the moment. And when we're talking about being Christmas, what we want to be is people who get lost in the moment, not of a tree though, of a Savior, of our God who came to be with us. And turn all of our attention and our focus and our hearts to that idea that God came down 
and lived and dwelled among us. And then let that be what helps us embody this message of Christmas. So that's kind of what this series is about. And, and we, we're kind of sharing some of the themes from a thing called Advent Conspiracy. Um, and, and as part of the video that we introduced, and a few weeks ago we talked about worship fully. We want to be people this season that we worship fully, our whole beings. Last week we talked about spending less. I know some of you skipped it when you saw the title. Like, I don't want to hear that. Um, but it really, it, it had nothing to do with not spending or, or being Scrooges or anything. It, it really had to do with just reorienting how, what we focus on and why we do the things we do during the season. And now this week, uh, I'm grateful you're all here if you looked ahead and saw that the theme was Give More, and you still showed up, so that's great. Gl- glad to have you here with us. But today is not, um, it, it's not a message about, hey, we want you to give, give, give more to, to us. But how can we become people who understand just as Jesus gave it all? As the people in the Christmas story were able to give, how do we become people who understand that lifestyle of generosity um, in all areas of life? How does the story of Jesus coming to be with us change how we interact in, in the world? So that's what today is about. And so pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you um, for this morning. Thank you so much, God, for, uh, for this message of Christmas that for us we can, can, be, can get very familiar. And it can be a story that maybe we've heard a, a, so many times before that sometimes it loses, loses its impact. And so this morning, God, I pray that as we look into the people in this story, that, Lord, that you would allow us to be transformed by it. And this would be about you. And help us be people who embody this message of God with us. And so, God, we thank you now and give you this time. Amen. Now, as we I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to get into the story in just a moment. Now, sometimes when you look at this season, I want to just start off and let you know, I know some of you, maybe you think, every year you probably make this resolution. I've talked to some of you, you say, like, this year Christmas will be different. I'm not going to stress out. I'm not going to get caught up in everything. And then when Christmas is over, I'm not going to overspend. And then when Christmas is over, you say, ah, I did it again. And you feel like you have those Christmas failures. And, and just know, hey, we're all human. We do that. So just you're among good company, people who botch things during the holidays. I know it can be a hard season for some of you. Um, I know for us with three boys, we, um, we have had some fun Christmas failures that are now funny as we look back. Um, we had one year, and, and parents, I'll um, make this cryptic so that we preserve some things. But um, so there was one year, we, we were traveling home on, on Christmas Day in, to Seattle, and, uh, but we like to wake up in the morning with our kids, and then that afternoon we'd fly out. But so we had to get the whole house ready to leave. Um, and you don't want to leave food and certain things in the refrigerator. And um, you also, so the night before Christmas, we put out our Christmas cookies for someone, um, you know, before the kids went to bed, we put them on a little plate and, and, and they went to bed. And then, um, then we started getting, my wife and I were getting the house all ready to leave. And so in cleaning up, I, I took the cookies and I, I cleaned up, I threw them away. And, um, the next morning our kids run down the stairs, they're kind of excited. And one of them goes into the kitchen to throw something away. And he's like, dad, come in here. I was like, oh, what happened? And I go in there, and he's holding the garbage can. He's looking at me. He's like, look at this. <laughs> yeah, you know where it's going. 
why do you think he threw these away? And, and, you know, I mean, I'm a pastor, a man of the cloth, so I did what anyone would do is I totally lied. Um, <laughs> and I explained how these weren't the same ones. These were different ones that were stale and weren't good enough. And, and, so, and, and so that one kind of we got away with that. And then um, later that morning when we realized that um, we used the same wrapping paper as the other guy, um, we, we were like, we are not succeeding this year. When, when our son said, why do you guys have the same wrapping paper? I'm like... <laughs> Target. I mean, <laughs> so clearance sale last year. Done. <laughs> They're frugal up there. And, and anyway, so some of us have, you know, these, these Christmas seasons. Sometimes you can enter into it and think, man, I just keep failing. And, and so when you hear a message about simplifying or giving more and, and being generous, you can think, oh, I know I'm just going to mess this up. But just know God is gracious. And we just want to be people who are taking steps to be transformed. And that's, that's who we want to be. So let's look into this story. And the, the other thing I love about that is the story of Christmas was a bunch of people like you and me. And Jesus was born, as, as Dale taught us last week, in a very common situation to a peasant family. Very normal. And the story, it, the, the whole purpose is that it can relate to us. So let's engage with the story here today. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26 as we're going to begin, and we're going to take a look at a couple of people who are pretty central to this story of Christmas. And and we heard about them already today, but let's read it. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 1 says, In the sixth month, the angel uh, Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee near, or called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was very perplexed at the statement, but kept wondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means salvation. That's not in there. I just added that for you. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. He said, And behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. So this is kind of a familiar story for those who've been around the church and, and, and probably even those who are not around the church have heard this story and kind of know something about this story as it relates to the Christmas season. And so this morning what I want to do is we're going to look into the life of Mary and Joseph and ask the question of, of what can we learn from the, about the character of God and what can we learn from their response this morning? And what is it about their part and piece of this story that actually can make sense to us today. Because I don't know about you, but, but sometimes when you hear this, if you take a step back and think about the story, it sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, there's pieces of it that are kind of hard to grasp. And maybe you have family members, or maybe you yourself are a little skeptical, and you hear this story and you say, there's some holes in this story. There's some things that are hard to, gra- to understand or to accept as truth. I mean, a virgin birth, really? God with us? 
And so what we want to do is take a moment to kind of pause for a moment and paint the first century Jewish culture perspective to see if it's as crazy for them as it would be for us. Because I don't know about you, but if someone came to me and say, hey, I'm a virgin, but I'm going to have a child and God did it, I would say, (laughs) okay, sure, sure. Is that the same way they read it in the first century? And so let's take a moment to understand a little bit of what it was probably like for Mary and Joseph. So there's a few things we need to understand about their culture. First of all, even before we talk about their culture alone, I know you look at this and say, but this this would have to be a miracle. Well, yes, it would have to be a miracle that takes place. If you leave any room for the possibility of a divine being in the world, if you believe that there's a supernatural being, no matter what that person is, that, that divine being, then... Logically speaking, that leaves room for the supernatural to happen. So anyone who believes that a God exists, you have to believe that something, miracles, could possibly happen by the hand of that God if that God is supernatural. And if we begin with that, in the Jewish world, of course, it was understood, it was presumed that God existed. Miracles could happen. God could break into history and enact his miracles. So that was already accepted, already understood. The whole history of the nation of Israel was based on the miraculous of God at certain times in their history showing up. But how do they understand birth? Because this is a little different. Now, let's a few things to think about. And by the way, if um, the cultural background doesn't interest you much, just smile and nod. I'll check back in a few minutes. Um, so, In the Jewish beliefs, in their culture, birth is controlled by God. You have to start with that understanding. That if a woman is to get pregnant or not able to be pregnant, that is the hand of God, no matter what. That God will open the womb, as the language of the Hebrew culture meant, that God allows the woman to be pregnant. God would close the womb as for those who, in couples that were unable to become pregnant. So all birth was believed to be controlled by God. Now they understood the biology of it. Okay? They understood that it took two to make the things go right. You know, they knew that that, my wife just shakes her head at me. Yeah, come on, 80s hip-hop. So um, they understood that part of the story, but they believed that with the people, it was controlled by God. God was the one who allowed birth to happen. So they, did, they began there. So all births had God's presence in them. Uh, not God in them, but God was part of the process. Second thing is this. In a Jewish, uh, for Mary and Joseph, who were Jewish followers, they were very devout. We know they were devout because they had Jesus dedicated at the temple at eight years old. We see them taking pilgrimages to Jerusalem. We know that they were well-versed in their faith. They probably understood scripture better than you and I do. Throughout their scripture, there's a precedent of angels showing up and announcing the birth of someone significant throughout history. There were certain times in their history when angels appeared to man and it was in times of desperation for the nation of Israel that angel would appear and announce the birth of someone who would break into history bringing hope to their situation. So it happened with Abraham and Sarah when the angel came and said, you will have a son and through you, the nation of Israel will be born. That was the first, first birth annunciation. In the time of the judges, it was a time when Israel was in a lot of turmoil, kind of going up and down. There was a guy named Samson. His birth was actually announced by an angel to his mother, which we never get the mother's name. But uh, he has this appearance and says, you will have a son and your son will deliver 
the people from the Philistines. We see the announcement of the birth of a prophet Samuel, who would lead the people kind of in this transitionary period during a theocracy, kind of leading them towards the next phase of their history. So it wasn't uncommon, it wasn't, didn't happen every day, but it wasn't completely crazy and unreasonable for an angel to appear and say, guess what? There will be a birth, and the person who will be born is going to change the course of history. So for them, it wasn't all that strange. It was still strange, but not as strange as it is for us. So let's get to the next thing, though, the big question of this story. Because in all those births, it was still a natural occurrence. In this one, it's a little different. Would you not agree? (laughs) First of all, you have Mary who's saying, I've never been with a man, and you're telling me I'm pregnant? Can you imagine really what that conversation was like? We don't really get all the details, but I guarantee you it was a little longer than what we have in our scripture. I, I, I can just picture Mary kind of going like, you know, I took health class and um, this is not, there's, there's a piece missing here, right? And, and there was some sort of interaction like, no, I, this is impossible. This is impossible. Would the culture in the first century, Israel, accept the possibility of a virgin birth? That's a big question. To get the answer, we need to turn to Isaiah chapter 7. And I'll read it for you if you want to turn there in your Bibles. It's about halfway in your Bibles, the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah, just so you know, is this book that we have, the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found the prophecy or the book of Isaiah in its entirety. And we see Jesus quoting from Isaiah. We know that Isaiah was, was one of the scrolls that was very well known and studied. We know that the book of Isaiah talks a lot about a coming servant of Israel that was understood to be the Messiah or God's anointed one who had come and delivered the people. So the book of Isaiah was central um, to their faith. And in first century Judaism, we have strong evidence that they were well acquainted with this book. So in Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to just read uh, verse 14. And it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Make sure you understand that. He's going to give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call him Emmanuel, or Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God with us. So this verse, and this is in the context of a bigger chapter here, is what the writer of Matthew refers to. He says, you're going to have, you're going to give birth you're a virgin giving birth to the Son of God. Hey, it was talked about in Isaiah. So in first century Judaism, they didn't already totally understand that verse. It's not like they'd read it and say, oh, one day a virgin is going to give birth to the Son of God. They didn't quite walk around th- knowing that, believing that. But they had this verse with some tension. And so the writer Matthew, who's a Jewish person in the first century, writing about the story, alludes to this verse to show that, okay, they were familiar with the verse. Now, Again, I'm going to take even another step because maybe you have heard some people shoot holes in you pointing to Isaiah 7. And if you haven't, again, smile and nod. I'm, I'm, I'm almost back to you here. We're almost back. So if you've heard people say, well, Isaiah 7 was never talking about a virgin birth. It really isn't referring to Jesus. Here's a quick, uh, just a few quick responses to that. First one was that, um, people will say that this prophecy had nothing to do with, with Jesus. It had to do with King Ahaz 700 years before Jesus was born. And, and that's all it had to do with. 
because it is in context, talks about a specific prophecy. You have to understand that most prophecies throughout Hebrew scriptures have a now and a yet to come um, interaction. They were prophecies dealing with what's happening right now, but in light of something will happen in the future. The entire book of Revelation is about what was happening to the, to the people of Israel in first century by the Romans, but it had a yet-to-come theme as well. Isaiah has a now and yet-to-come theme. Now, one thing that happens in chapter 7 is Isaiah is writing, and he goes back and forth between addressing King Ahaz singularly, using in Hebrew, saying, this is for you, King Ahaz. And then he goes and uses different language and uses a plural saying, this is for the nation of Israel. He does at one point refer to King Ahaz's son. That was a singular part. Then when he switches back and he does this whole um, piece here about there will be a sign given to you, he switches the language and is talking to a plural house of David or the nation of Israel. So it is reasonable to believe that this prophecy was a now and yet to come type of prophecy about the nation of Israel. And it is reasonable to believe that in first century they would say, yeah, there is still something. This is about the nation of Israel and our stubbornness and that God is going to break in. Now, here's some further um, evidence for that. The other question here that people will ask is, or they will say about this, they'll say the word used in Hebrew uh, for virgin is, is Alma, which they'll say actually just means young woman. Um, anyone ever hear that before? Oh, I can skip this part. No one has, so never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that's one of the, the uh, disagreements. And it's true. The word here used actually means young woman. And it's used seven times throughout Hebrew scriptures. In every single incident of that, incident of that, when it uses young woman, it's referring to a young woman of good standing who's never been with a man. In other words, a virgin. And so, though it only means young woman, it is only used in Hebrew scriptures to refer to virgin women. Only. So there's no reason why that would change. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, written 200 years before Christ, the Greeks translate this and use the word parthenos, which in Greek can only mean virgin. So in first century, it was clearly understood that this is not a young woman, but this is a virgin young woman. Further evidence for that. If God is speaking and saying, I am going to give you a sign, which in Hebrew is a miraculous occurrence that is supernatural to get your attention. If God said, I'm going to get your attention with a miracle, a young woman's going to be pregnant. Ha <laughs> ha. Would that get your attention? A young woman, you'd say, okay, <laughs> did I miss the sign? No, the reason it's a miracle, the reason it's a sign is because God's saying it will be a virgin woman. Does that make sense biologically? No! <laughs> but God is breaking in for a specific point in history, the only time he's ever going to do it. One other thing about the virgin birth. If the child's name is Immanuel, or God is with us, doesn't that give you a little indication that maybe there's something different about this child? Because his name means God is with us. In Hebrew, it means God with us. <laughs> it means he's saying, this is not a normal birth. I am going to be in your midst. Now think of this. You're Mary, you're Joseph. The angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to be with child. 
her first question that we see her say is, how can this be? Because I, that's impossible. Do you think maybe the angel Gabriel said, oh yeah, remember Isaiah scroll? Remember what it says here? Yeah, that's you. That's you. See, in our world today, we, we don't put all the context in, so we just say, this is crazy, how can I believe it? Well, the question isn't, how can you believe it in 21st century San Diego? Because it wasn't written to you. It was written to a bunch of people who lived and existed and understood and breathed in this stuff. And at first they'd say, wait, this is weird. But if you'd say, yeah, but what does Isaiah 7 mean? 7.14. I guarantee you the conversation with Joseph, in Matthew chapter 1, we have the, the angel appears to Joseph in a dream. Do you think Joseph would need to hear this verse? <laughs> Because I guarantee you it wasn't very easy for him to accept it. Scripture says because Joseph was a just man, meaning because he had a sense of right and wrong and and even a sense of mercy that he was going to allow Mary, just put her away quietly. In other words, just let her go her own ways without her facing the punishment of adultery. Then the, the angel appears to Joseph and says, no, 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 trust me. I did this. God did this. If I'm Joseph, I would say, give me a little bit more details than that. (laughs) And it is not unreasonable to believe that the angel said, Isaiah 7, do you remember this in the scroll? And they didn't have chapter numbers back then, but do you remember when it says that virgin will be with child? I'm going to do this thing through you and through Mary. Sometimes we just hear the story and, and we think, oh yeah, that would have been hard for Joseph, but he got over it. But can you imagine <laughs> what it took? And I don't think he could have done it without that background of, he, of their scriptures to say, this is possible. Is it common? No. Is it possible? Yes. Do the first century Jews, when they heard this, the first thing they say, say, oh yeah, I believe that. Or did it take a little convincing? Sure. Yeah. But it's not as crazy as it is for us. So in light of this story and the historical precedent, what can we learn from Mary and Joseph, knowing that they had this background, knowing that God has chosen to use them to break into history, to offer hope to their nation in a time of great despair, to actually be the ones through whom God will enter humanity and be with us. What can we learn from them? How does that relate to giving more and being people who are generous? Let's look at this. First thing that we see in Mary and Joseph's life is that in order for them to allow this to happen, they had to look beyond their selves and be completely selfless. They had to say, you know what, God? And Mary responds and says, whatever you need, I am your servant. The first step of becoming people who are living lifestyle of generosity, who are going to be Christmas and embody the message of Christmas, is we need to be people who turn our attention off ourselves and say, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's being, living a lifestyle of being open before, before God. Is this Christmas season for you? Are you so focused on all the things you need to get done? So focused on everything, uh, the gifts you need to buy, the gifts you need to get, the decorations you need to do, that you kind of miss that there's other people in the story? The first step of understanding how to be Christmas and give more and be generous is saying, it's, life isn't always about me, or it's not about me. Turn your attention off yourself. 
That doesn't always have to do with just finances. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about a heart. This last week, uh, our, our church, we have this great partnership with Sunset High School, which is right down the street, a couple of streets away. And Sunset High School is the alternative high school in our, in our community. And bunch of really cool students who go there. And, and a lot of them have needed a second chance or, or need a little help. They don't have as many people believing in them, um, a lot of the students. So we do these things where we do lunches where the principal gives the students incentives. If they earn, do certain things, they can earn this lunch that our church will go in and provide for free. And a lot of you have helped uh, to, to prepare the food and serve the food. So this last Friday, um, my wife and I and a, a bunch of others from the church, there's about 14 of us, I think, who went and, and served this lunch. Well, Friday's my day off. And Friday was a nice, rainy, cozy day. You remember Friday all the way last week? Um, <laughs> And you know what sounded great on my day off on a rainy morning? It was a cup of coffee and not doing anything. I was not, I, I, I just thought, I don't want to, oh, I'll do it. I signed us up. But I don't feel like going. I just don't feel like going. I want to just relax. And so I went and we got, my wife and I got here early with a bunch of volunteers and we prepared all this food, which is really great food. And went and served the students. And one of the coolest things, when we walked in with the food, there was a student who looked over and saw my wife, who went last month, and saw her and said, oh, I was hoping you would be here. Come sit with us. And then, and then they said, have your husband come over. And so I went and sat with them. And, and, the cool, and, and I love high school students. I really do. It's not that I don't like them. It's not like I don't serve them. I, I mean, I love high school students. I was one once. And... and um, and I love students who kind of need someone to believe in them. So it was a great time. But we were in this group. There's about eight of them. And this one girl, she kind of had these tears well up in her eyes. And she said, you know, and she's not a Christian to my knowledge. And she just said, you know, the reputation of Christians isn't very good. You never hear very positive things, especially in the last few years, about Christians and their beliefs. And she said, and this is a high school girl. She said, why don't we hear stories of churches who just come and serve food to a bunch of high school kids who don't deserve it and hang out with them. Why don't we hear that? And I was sitting there thinking, I will give up any day off, rainy day, to hear that. To see a student and her friends say, maybe Jesus actually has a power to transform lives. And I was so selfish, saying, I want my time. I mean, I seriously was probably just going to play some Madden football on the Xbox. Seriously, that's what I was going to do. <laughs> Which I'm pretty good. But, um, <laughs> but to have a chance, to have a chance to be Christmas, God with us, for someone who never had that. Get the attention off myself. And think about somebody else. So the first step is just saying, you know what? I want to think about others. That's what Mary and Joseph did. They said, it's not about me. It's not about me. The second is just this. Be available with where, where you are. And that means be available with where you are, what you have. Some of you have the capacity for great generosity financially. Some of you do. And some of you, as you think about others, do need to say, you know what? Do I hoard everything that I have? Some of you need to learn a little generosity even with your finances. You really do. Sorry. And some of you, you say, I don't have any more capacity. My wife and I don't have a ton of margin. We're doing fine. Don't worry. We're, we're fine. We've decided this year we're taking, a, uh, each of our kids are p- taking a, uh, 
one of those tags and we're buying food, I mean, gifts for kids at CRC. And we have the margin to do that. Um, we're also, uh, I think, getting a, a holiday basket. My wife told me the other day, though, it's like, it's not necessarily in the budget, but she said, guess what we're going to do? We're not going to buy as much food for ourselves for a couple weeks. We're going to use up everything we have so that we can get it for somebody else. Oh, okay. That's that spend less, give more. So it doesn't mean that you have to say, oh, I, I don't have any margin. We have margin. It's just a decisions sometimes we make. And some of you, that's a challenge God might be giving to you. Some of you, seriously, probably need to go from 1,000 channels down to 150. I mean, I know some of you say, we just don't have any margin in our budget. I mean, I don't know how many versions of, versions of uh, Duck Dynasty. You, that was really, that's... <laughs> Let's pray, we're done, okay. <laughs> yeah. Moving on, you get the point. <laughs> There's things we can do to be more generous. One of the cool things, and I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way up. Uh, when we moved back from Israel, it was in 2008, 2009, the economy was crashing. We were part of a church plant. Great time to plant a church when no one has money. I was working at, for a coffee company. I was speaking at any church or youth group that would pay me because we just needed a little extra help. My kids were on the free and reduced lunch program at school. I mean, and I'm not saying this so you feel badly for me. We just, that's what, our life. And um, it was cool. There's one young adult who was a part of our church. He wasn't a Christian, but he came very faithfully. And we went out to, uh, to eat after, one of the, uh, after church one night. And he looked at me and he said, Ryan, I don't, know, um, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I feel like I need to. And he handed me an envelope. It had $500 cash in there. And I just thought, <laughs> he didn't realize how much that meant to our family at that time. During that time also, a neighbor was working for a food bank and he came over one day and he didn't really know our situation, but he said, hey, we have one box of meat left over. It's all frozen meat. Would you want it? And I don't know if you've ever been on a, a budget, but one of the first things to go with food is, is things with flavor. So meat. And I just thought, like, what a huge blessing. We're not putting zucchini in our spaghetti this week. That's awesome. <laughs> But the blessing that came to us was amazing because they were open and generous. God can use you with what you have and wants to. We have to be willing. The whole message of Christmas is God came down. Do you think he had to do it this way? If I was God, I would not go through the junior high years just to be with you people. <laughs> I would come in on my horse, saying, I'm God, now follow me, or I will kill you. <laughs> and he went through life like you and like me so that people like you and like me can say, we get it. You get us. You get us. He didn't have to do it that way. Can we be that as we go, as we give more of us to the world to see it transformed? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for incredible gift that you gave to us when you came. I thank you that Mary and Joseph were willing to say, whatever, God, we're your servants. I thank you for the people in my life who have said, 
I care about Ryan. I'm going to serve him and love him in times when I needed it. I thank you for the people of Seacoast who have found ways to give of themselves, to think of others, to show the world that God is with us. So God, would you now continue to transform us? And as we end our time here now, God, in worship, let us celebrate what you have done for each of us. Pray that you move now.